I'm Jack Hirschman, and welcome to this week's edition of the Hot Topics podcast, the place where the global innovators, leaders, and executives come to share their thought leadership on the fast-moving tech ecosystem. In this week's episode, I sat down with Andrew Fisher, the executive chairman of Shazam, a company that has, well, transformed the way we discover music. And since 1999, the London-based firm has identified more than 15 billion songs. And back then, all the company was was a call and text service. Users actually had to dial a number to find out what the song was. Could you imagine that? Since then, things have changed rather a lot. And things have become slightly more instant, shall we say. There's one thing that hasn't changed, however, and that's Shazam's core vision. Andrew and I spoke about how this has helped them grow into a unicorn, when the right time to monetize is, trends in the industry, and keeping your investors sweet. Okay, so... Obviously, uh, chairman of Shazam now. I mean, it's a huge company. You've seen crazy growth over the past few years. What is kind of the, the biggest learning that you've taken through your, your time at Shazam? Uh, for us at Shazam, I think it's staying faithful to our vision. I think with a, with a lot of companies, it takes a lot longer to achieve what you originally envisage or what you originally saw as the opportunity. And so if you're starting at point A and point B is, is, is where you see the company developing over time, there's a lot of iterations, there's a lot of zigzagging, there's a lot of pivoting that goes on in terms of business models, propositions, etc. But staying faithful to your ultimate vision, which for Shazam ultimately is making it easier for people to discover something that they're interested in and engage with that, has been uh, my personal long-term vision for the company and that's what we're executing on today, not just in music but in many other use cases. Hmm. And, and you were the CEO and now you've sort of transitioned towards the chairman. What, what was that change like? You know, the thing about a CEO is that um, CEOs have to be empowered to run businesses and, and a chairman's role is not the role of a chief executive. So for me, it was the right time to bring somebody else in to help me partner in building Shazam. We still see uh, the opportunity for us as being a very large opportunity and we see ourselves as being a relatively small team. So the important thing was, did I feel comfortable bringing in a very, very highly talented individual in our chief executive, who's Rich Riley, and actually partnering with him to build Shazam and take it to the next level. And, and having been CEO for eight years, I felt entirely comfortable with that. But the important thing for us is that we talk very openly about what our respective responsibilities were going to be. The fact that I wasn't moving to a part-time role, I'm an executive chair, so it means that I'm working full-time for Shazam. And that uh, um, we don't confuse the organisation in terms of who's the chief executive and who's the chairman and how we're actually going to build the business together. Okay, so you hear a lot about kind of timing, talent, and technology as, as being such a huge part to play in business. What part uh, do you think luck has to play in business? You know, luck does play a part in business. I mean, one of the things about Shazam, if, if we take that as an example, is that we, we, we raised money early on, um, uh, we invested money, and, and it was really a technology that was ahead of its time in the marketplace. And, and part of the reason, and a large part of Shazam's success has come because of the move to digital content, so iTunes and other forms of digital music, smartphones, unlimited data tariffs and pricing parity where at one point in time you had to pay twice the price to buy a song on a mobile network than you did to buy it on the internet. So why would you use Shazam to discover music and purchase music when, quite frankly, you could get it cheaper going to an internet site? All of those macro factors had a profound influence on the development of our company and they weren't within our control. And so the timing of that, in part due to luck um, and our position in the marketplace, is really, really key, you know, and with hindsight. And so we do acknowledge that luck plays a part in any successful business. But we'd like to think that we can mitigate for that by 
being thoughtful about the fact that it can take longer to build a company, it, giving yourself a cash run down, making your finance last longer than you think it's going to be needed is really, really important to give you that optionality. And all of this must have a huge part to play in terms of the, the pro product roadmap and how sort of the, you know, the plans you have for the company to, to pan out. How do you sort of deal with the change? So the first, the first and most important thing is that all of our team has a very clear understanding of what our mission and purpose is as Shazam and what we're trying to achieve. And, and we're trying to make it easier for people to engage with any piece of content or any brand that they're interested in ultimately. That could be through our existing technologies such as audio recognition. It could be through new technologies like image or visual recognition. But at the end of the day, it's all about helping people find what they're interested in in a faster, more efficient way and not having to go to a web browser and type in www. How we actually achieve that mission, how we become part of our users' daily lives, how we earn ultimately um, a position where people would miss us if we weren't on their devices because we're helping them live their lives in a much more easier and efficient way. Um, that is down to the team in terms of, as you say, the product roadmap, the decisions that are taken more on an operational and tactical basis. And it's actually really important that people feel a sense of ownership within the team for making those decisions. But as leaders in the business, what we can do is make sure that people stay focused on what the ultimate end goal is as they make the, uh, as they make the, the, the more detailed decisions. So you hear a lot about kind of uh, businesses being built up and kind of creating value, but not necessarily being profitable. At what point in an entrepreneur's kind of uh, company do you think it is uh, the right time to think about monetizing? So, so being profitable is good because it means you don't need to raise external finance to keep your company going and you're, you are potentially self-sufficient as an entity. So when you're not profitable, the challenge is that you're consuming, you're consuming funds and therefore you need to be confident you can go and raise additional capital to keep your business um, going and developing. Um, you have to trade that and and form a point of view around how fast you're growing your business and if you're investing in the opportunity. And so actually, the, the thing to do is to constantly be in dialogue with investors, explaining your vision, explaining your story, and seeing if they're actually as excited as you are and if they're willing to actually fund that. Um, and, and if they are, then it gives you the confidence to carry on in a loss-making situation pursuing the opportunity and growing as fast as you can. At the point in time when you feel that there's more to prove and people aren't quite so sure about committing themselves by way of an investment, then it's much more important that you can actually flip your business and pivot into a profitable situation. And for Shazam, we've, we've pivoted between being loss-making to being profitable to actually expanding our strategy and raising more capital and then actually going back into a, a loss-making situation intentionally, but always having a point of view that we can become profitable if we need to become profitable. At the minute, the opportunity we're pursuing is about half a trillion dollars in terms of addressable market share for all the money that's spent on advertising across TV, radio, in-store. And we're trying to create a new paradigm for that advertising community and capture a proportion of that money that's, that's invested. So with that in mind, we have to be in investment mode, which means, by definition, we're likely to be loss-making, and we're very comfortable with that. So I'd imagine you've got kind of a, a lot of people saying, at what point are you going to be making money? You know, how do you keep investors happy? How do you keep uh, the people that are backing you happy and aligned? So, so the first thing is you need to deliver on your promises. And when somebody invests, they're, they're buying into you as a team. They're buying into the opportunity that you're pursuing and, and your vision. 
And so there are milestones along the way. There's annual budgets, there's, there's, there's key performance indicators such as your number of users, other metrics in the business that would indicate to the investor whether you're succeeding or failing against delivering on the promise that you've made to them. And so investors are comfortable as long as you can articulate how you measure success and how you um, can evidence to them that you're actually making progress in your business and capturing the opportunity. Um, if, you're not, if you're not achieving that, then you need to do one of two things. Either you need to um, pivot and think about um, maybe you need to adopt a different strategy, or secondarily, you need to be very mindful that um, you need to explain to the investor what hasn't happened and the reasons why. And very often, if you take the time to um, inform and explain to your investors what's happening in the company, they'll be very, very supportive. Hmm. And are there any kind of trends that you can foresee uh, coming about, be it in the music industry or, or, or tech in general? Yeah, so I think that the, the, the winners generally um, in over the next three to five years in terms of uh, enterprise will be the companies that know their customers the best. And, the, and through knowing the customer, um, you'll be able to deliver a very personalized and contextually relevant product or service to that consumer. Um, the challenge for a lot of companies will be the evolution of their brand so the trust that people place in the brand itself, and as these new propositions evolve, do they actually trust the company to provide access in delivering those propositions, those services, those experiences? Um, and if they do, you know, is the consumer clear that it's going to add value to their lives? They're not going to be abused. Their, their privacy and protection is going to be maintained by somebody that historically they've enjoyed a very positive engagement with as a brand and a very trusted relationship. You also mentioned AI uh, in the panel. You, know, you were just talking about what is it about AI that you think is going to be so revolutionary? So the world is going to shift, in my opinion, from um, user-initiated, customer-initiated, where in, in, if we take digital, for example, you, know, you press the Shazam button, to um, where experiences will be created on your behalf because, because of the, 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 the service provider and what they know about you as an individual in terms of tastes, preferences, etc., so artificial intelligence is a way of taking very, very large amounts of data. In Shazam, for example, we create a billion pieces of data every single day. And it's how do you actually interpret that data and turn it into something that's actually helping um, our users have a much better experience through Shazam, and how do we enrich their daily lives. Um, in order to do that, we need to make sure we're delivering those experiences in a way that people are receptive to. So artificial intelligence, machine learning, can be a way of scaling that. We've got 20 million people every day that use Shazam. That's a lot of data. It's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of individuals that we're trying to uh, improve the experience for. And we can only do that if we have some degree of automation. Mm, of course. But, um, so you mentioned there kind of about the, the, the huge amounts of data that you're gathering. And uh, I think this is kind of a problem across a lot of businesses you're seeing. You know, the, there are so many ways of gathering data there's a huge sort of utilization gap in that people aren't just, just don't really know what to do with that. How do you think that can be overcome? Um, that's absolutely the case. So for years, we've been talking about data warehousing, capturing that data, but turning information into intelligence is something that we're really at the, only, at the beginning of the journey on for many, many companies and corporations. And so um, the world is going to change in a very, very dramatic way. And the challenge is how do people develop their knowledge, develop their customer experience and their engagement with their customer bases without disenfranchising them. And actually everything they, they do 
or for the most part they do, is seen to be accretive, that it adds value to the relationship, that their customers embrace that. And that's, that's very hard to do when you're executing this at scale. But it is possible if people are thoughtful, the companies are thoughtful about why do people engage with us, what trust do they put in us, and how do we make sure that we don't abuse that and we actually build on top of it. Great, cool. Well, thank you very much. It was My a pleasure. pleasure. Thank you.